Well, welcome to another day as we go through the Word of God, and I get so excited uh, every time we do this, and so glad that you're joining me, and I hope that you're really getting something out of this, and if you haven't had a chance to watch uh, any of my previous videos, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards, got links in the descriptions below, and I have them all, uh, you know, assembled into playlists. Uh, you can see other content that I have there as well. I have all the links to the ways you can connect with me. I also have all of my um, uh, sessions now I'm doing uh, on podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify. Links will be in all of the descriptions below and uh, you can enjoy those as well. So I'm so glad that you're joining me on this book, the uh, uh, book of Proverbs journey that we are on. So we're looking at uh, Proverbs chapter 3 today. And uh, we're going to, it starts off with my son. It's just a constant reminder that Solomon wrote this, uh, this book to his son. And, it, it, you know, he doesn't say sons. He says, yeah, my, my son. And there, there are some places where he says, my, he, my children, but he, it's actually the word my gets added. It's kind of just to make sense of the word children. Um, but whenever he's referring personally, he, he just says, my son. And we only know out of, you know, who knows how many children he actually fathered, but we only know about one Rehoboam who was a fool. He had the opposite of everything that Solomon talked about. Very sad. Today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Uh, that's what we're going to go through today, and then we'll do the rest of chapter 3 in a separate video. And this is all about wisdom uh, that comes from trusting God. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. This is Solomon saying, the, the only way you can walk rightly with God is you have to value his word. You have to value it. Don't forget my law. Solomon's advice as a father to his son in this section is, is a warning to never forget God's word. Don't do it. My law. Now, he's not saying about his law. Solomon didn't mean Solomon's law in the sense of his own personal decrees that he gave to his son. It's God's word that, that Solomon himself had, had made his own, made it very personal. He said, let your heart keep my commands. David Guzik said this, deciding to not forget God's word is more than a mental exercise of memory. It's also connected to a life of obedience, one that does keep the commands of God. If one mentally remembers God's word yet fails to obey it, we could rightly say he or she has forgotten God's commands. So we can see also that this obedience is something that has to come from the heart. Our goal in obedience is not just outward conformity to God's will. It's a heart that loves God. It's a heart that obeys him out of that love. Charles Bridges, the heart is the first thing that wanders away from God and it is also the first thing that returns to God. And, and maybe that's you or maybe you know somebody like that, but it, that, 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 that's such a, a true statement. I love that. I don't love that that happens. I love it because it just it sums up exactly what really happens with our, our walk with God. Uh, it is our heart that turns away from him. It's our heart that doesn't accept him. And it's our heart that does embrace him. They will add to you. Uh, length of days and long life, peace they will add to you. And there's a benefit uh, from this life that Solomon wants his son to lead and, it's, and, it, and from a, a heart that obeys God. And it's this. 
in principle, a an obedience from your heart and an obedience in your life brings long life and peace. That's a, that's a pretty blessed combination. Length of days actually could be a uh, a curse if you wanted to say that, and not a blessing without peace. Who wants to live a long time if you're totally troubled the whole time you're here? Now, uh, we talk about in principle here because remember, this is largely how Proverbs is written. It, that's how it should be regarded. Uh, this is not an absolute promise in verse 2 here. There are some people who are truly uh, given to obedience in their heart and their life, in their conduct, and unfortunately they die relatively young. Uh, that, that's, that's a fact. Some godly people, uh, have trouble living in peace. And it's not because they haven't done any of this. Um, these, these are true principles. They're not absolute promises. Remember that. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Solomon wisely told his son to keep God's loyal love. Um, now, the, the, the mercy, the, the Hebrew word that's used here is hesed. Hesed, which means mercy. And, uh, it's, it's, where mercy and truth close, uh, they should be so close that it would be as if they were a necklace on him at all times. Bind them around your neck, he says, written on the tablet of your heart. Matthew Poole observed that mercy and truth could be understood both as God's mercy and truth to us and the mercy and truth that is man's duty to show to other people. Uh, they're both important and we shouldn't forsake either one of them. Alan P. Ross, by binding and writing, as in bind them on your heart, write, bind them, you know, around your neck, write them on your heart, the teacher is stressing that the teachings should become a part of the disciples' very nature. That, that's, that's what we need to do with these in order for them to, to produce fruit in our life. And then you'll find favor. Now think about that. The blessed, obedient life, that's something that is attractive to people. And it enjoys the favor of God. It honors and attracts the favor of man. Favor. Uh, Bruce Waltke. Favor, the word Hebrew word hen, H-E-N. The common word for grace here denotes the positive disposition of heaven and earth toward the Son because of his attractiveness. Like hesed, mercy, it cannot be compelled. It is extended voluntarily and unilaterally to preserve a valued relationship. Dwayne Garrett. This means that others will recognize the competence and intelligence of the wise individual. John Trapp then said this about what this does as far as having favor before men as a result of this, as did Joseph, Moses, and David. He was a man after God's own heart, and whatsoever he did pleased the people. It is God that gives credit. He fashioneth men's opinions and inclineth their hearts, as Ezra often acknowledges which with much thankfulness. So then we move on to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, which I would imagine would be part of the top 10 Bible verses that all Christians know or uh, uh, have, have heard. And they're like, I've heard that somewhere. Uh, I can't remember if it was on a sign in somebody's house or in a sermon, but... Uh, I remember, I, I couldn't tell you when I learnt these words. I feel like I've known these words, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, my whole life, and they've always been applicable. Uh, they, they are some of the most often quoted verses in the Bible, like the Lord's Prayer. Uh, they are still incredibly profound, just as profound as John three sixteen. Trust in 
the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. Solomon advised his son and said, listen, you can just imagine him pleading with his son, please trust God with everything in your heart. Trust Yahweh. Solomon had found that God was a God worthy to be trusted. And it's, it is our nature to put our trust uh, in something or someone. Uh, often we only put our uh, trust in ourselves, unfortunately. But Solomon told us to consciously put our trust in the Lord. Uh, who is the Lord? He's the covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, this is very interesting when you think about it. Uh, what I'm about to talk about. Warren Wiersbe said, The word translated trust in verse 5 means to lie helpless face down. It pictures a servant waiting for the master's command in readiness to obey, jump up and do it, or a defeated soldier yielding himself to the conquering general. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever thought about that? Trust in the Lord in all things. I mean, just lay face down and say, God, it's all yours. I'm not even going to look around. I'm just ready to do your commands. And I, and, and I acknowledge that without you, I'm helpless. And I, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm prostrate face down. Uh, now, with all your heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart. If 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 we're going to trust God and our trust in Him is true, then it has to be complete. So it has to be our whole heart. You can't just put half your heart and half your trust with God. You can't half trust God with your salvation. Um, and so you either trust the Lord a hundred percent or you don't trust Him at all. And and if you're a Christ follower, then you must do all that you can to give God all of your conscious trust that you can muster. John Trapp. They trust not God at all that do it not alone. He that stands with one foot on a rock and another foot upon a quicksand will sink and perish as certainly as he that stands with both feet on a quicksand. It's so true, isn't it? We want to have one foot in both. We have one, but but if you've got one foot in the world and you've got one foot uh, in the opposite of wisdom, then that's what's going to suck you down. Uh, David Guzik, this aspect troubles some Christians because they fear there is some part of their heart, and the part that he's talking about, trust in the Lord with all your heart. They fear there is some part of their heart that is not truly trusting God. We can sympathize with this concern, knowing that as imperfect people, it is impossible for us to trust in the Lord perfectly. In principle, we gather that Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 doesn't describe an objectively perfect trust in God, but a heart and a life that does not consciously reject or defy God with unbelief. Uh, and in fact, the following verses after verse 6 are going to explain what Solomon intended with the phrase, with all your heart. Charles Bridges, this trust is not the mere cold assent of enlightened judgment. It is trust with all your heart. It is childlike. It is an unwavering confidence in our Father's well-proved wisdom, faithfulness, and love. Which is why Solomon says, and whatever you do, don't lean on your own understanding. That's a bad move. See, trusting God with all your heart means 
that you have to make a conscious decision to put away your own understanding and instead choose to trust God and his understanding, especially when it's declared in his word. That's why when when people say to me, oh, yes, I know that it says that in the Bible, but God told me that that doesn't apply to me. Well, no, you're just deceived now. Uh, that's what the Bible says has happened to your heart. Your heart has been deceived and uh, you are now not walking in an understanding of the truth of God and you're certainly not walking in wisdom. What does that mean? It means you're going to end up in a bad place, so don't do that. Uh, that's why we should lean not. Uh, Bruce Waltke, do not rely or lean on even as a broken crutch. That's what depicts what the writer means by trust. Adam Clark, it is on God, not on thyself, that thou art commanded to depend. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Self-sufficiency and self-dependence have been the ruin of mankind since the fall of Adam. The grand sin of the human race is their continual endeavour to live independently of God. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Okay, remember he says, oh, it says, trust the Lord with all, in all, all your heart. Okay, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Trusting God with all our heart means to honor, acknowledge him in all that we do. It's the choice to invite God into our everyday life and our conduct. It's to practice the presence of God in the regular and, and sometimes simple things and mundane things that happen every day. It's inviting him into that and not saying, well, I don't need to ask his understanding on that, do I? It's just what sandwich I'm going to have for lunch. No, it's inviting him into absolutely everything. Okay? Then he shall direct your paths. That's the great principle of God's response towards anybody who trusts him in the way that's described in these previous verses. When we acknowledge God in our ways, that's when he will direct our paths in the fulfillment of his will into what is right before him, not what's our will and what's pleasing to us. I think a lot of people are actually afraid to have God direct their paths. They're like, I don't want him to direct my path because I don't know where he's going to take me. They'd much rather direct themselves. And that fundamentally is a heart that doesn't trust God because it says, I don't trust where he's going to take me. So therefore, I'm gonna, I want to do it myself. Uh, that's not trusting God with all your heart. That's not acknowledging him in all your ways. A, a, a heart that is surrendered delights in God's direction wherever God sends us. It, it de delights in God's paths. You know, uh, one of the most frequently asked questions among Christians is, well, how do I know the will of God? Uh, and, and in principle, you could say Solomon actually gave a pretty easy answer here in Proverbs 3 and 5 and 6. He says, well, you'll know the will of God when you decide to put your trust in God, when you decide to not trust in your own understanding, uh, give attention and priority to God's revealed word and when you decide to acknowledge and honour him in everything that you do. When you do those things, then you can trust that God will direct your path and you can go forward in peace, believing that through his word, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, through the counsel of others, godly common sense, through life circumstances, that God will direct your path and you will walk along the way of life and come to see that all of a sudden you've been on the path that God intended you to be on all along and therefore you were living God's will. G. Campbell Morgan gave his own testimony to the truth of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He said, The measure in which I have trusted Jehovah and acknowledged him has been the measure of walking in the paths of real life.
Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. We can regard this as an explanation of what it means to lean on some on, on your own understanding. It's to regard our wisdom as better and greater than God's. Uh, Matthew Poole said this about do not be wise in your own eyes. Be not puffed up with vain conceit of your own wisdom, as if that were sufficient for the conduct of all your affairs without direction or assistance from God or without the advice of others. Fear of the Lord. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, he says. That's the natural result of trusting God. You know, when you trust God and you come to know him better, then it leads to a natural reverence and respect, a natural awe, the fear of the Lord. And then as you trust him, you're drawn more to God and further away from evil. And that's why it's health to our flesh. A life of surrender and trust in God actually has real tangible health benefits to our lives. It gives a greater sense of peace. We don't have anxiety. Uh, it strengthens us. Um, a life of trust and surrender of God is way more peaceful than one that is constantly wondering whether God's got this or not. Um, now, the Hebrew word for flesh, it will be health to your flesh, is that, it's an interesting Hebrew word. It's uh, it's the word, and I'm not sure, sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's sure, sure. Um, and, and it means literally means navel. It means you're the center of your body, your, your, your belly button, you know, and, and it means the center of your entire body. Um, that's what's going to be, it's, in other words, it's going to be health to your entire body. Isn't that interesting? Belly buttons in the Bible. There you go. Uh, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is a very practical way to show that you do trust in the Lord with all your heart and that you're not leaning on your own understanding. Because when you truly trust him, you can honor him with a generosity that realizes that God is the great provider and he has totally inexhaustible resources and that all you've got to do is just do what he tells you to do. Um, now, the many commentators note that the word honor in the Bible has a constant connection with the word sacrifice. Uh, you can't have honor without sacrifice. Honor always involves sacrifice. Uh, Dwayne Garrett, commentaries note that this is the only place where Proverbs alludes to the ceremonial worship. Proverbs is not so much concerning itself with ceremonial religion here as it is exhorting the reader to demonstrate gratitude toward and confidence in God rather than in wealth. Alan P. Ross, the third piece of advice is to give back to God some of one's wealth as a sacrifice in recognition that God gave it to you in the first place. Uh, how do you do that? With the first fruits of all your increase, not just, not just the bits that you want to skim off the top, all your increase. Now, according to the principle of sacrifice of first fruits, which is really an eternal principle, we should always give God the first and the best. Because if we truly honor the Lord with our giving, uh, then we wouldn't give the last and leftovers 
as opposed to the first and the best. Bruce Wolke, it takes on the word first fruits, takes on the technical sense of offering the best of material things we have. Now, the principle of first fruits uh, also means that we give to God in act, active anticipation that he'll provide more. Now, that's, I'm going to explain this in a second before you, you know, people like, well, so you're giving to get. No. We honor him, God, by thinking, I can give you the first and the best because I know you gave me the first and the best. And if I give you the first and the best, you can give me more because you already gave me that in the first place. You see, the Old Testament Jews brought the Lord, the, the firstling of their flocks. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 13 and the first fruits of their field, Leviticus 23. Um, and that's how they acknowledged God's goodness and his sovereignty. Uh, that's a constant. Now, he says, why? Why should you do this? So your barns will be filled with plenty. That, that's, that's an incredible principle. This is a biblical godly principle. God is the master. He's the distributor of unlimited resources. He knows how to prosper and take care of those who honor him with the resources he's already given them. Um, this is amazing because he then finishes off this section. He says, your vats will overflow with new wine. Uh, this is Bruce Watke. New wine, uh, according to F.S. Fitzsimmons, represents wine made from the first drippings of the juice before the wine press was trodden. As such, it would be particularly potent wine. <laughs> so that that's what you, your vats aren't going to overflow with weak wine. Your vats are going to overflow with new wine, which is strong. It's got it's the most potent form of God's goodness for your life. Now, th this first fruits fits into a, a concept that is then spoken about through the whole Bible in this concept of tithing. And I want to just touch on it a little bit here because I think that we, we, we lose an understanding of what tithing was all about. Tithing came from the principle of first fruits. That, that's, that was way back at the beginning of Genesis. And then before, way before the law, nothing to do with the law. And then Abraham, uh, tithe gave a, a 10%. His first fruits was 10% of his first fruits in Genesis 14. He gave it to Melchizedek. Who's Melchizedek? He's very, Melchizedek is, he is a very mysterious figure in the Bible. And he's either one of two things. He's either Jesus himself or he's a type of Jesus. Um, and, uh, you can read about that in Hebrews, uh, chapter seven. But, uh, Abraham, basically tithed and brought that to Melchizedek, the high priest. Why? Because he wanted to honor him. Then we see tithing in the law, the first fruit command in the law. Well, that's, you know, I don't know, about a thousand years after the uh, the establishment of first fruits, maybe even longer, maybe even 1,500 years. Then you've got the law. That's uh, a commandment. And then you've got Malachi, who wrote in Malachi chapter 3, bring the whole tithe into the, the storehouse, that first 10%. Now, when did he write that? He wrote that 500 BC. That's a 1,000 years after Moses got the law. Um, and then Jesus says in Matthew 23 that, you, hey, you, you, you've, you've kept this part of the law, but not that part of the law. 
You've got to, you have to understand justice, mercy, and faith. You have to also understand that my principle of first fruits is not finished. Hebrews 7, written after Jesus ascended on Calvary, says, uh, mortal men receive tithes. Uh, this is a principle, a first principle that, that is something that is meant to flow out of our lives. And there's Bible verses like this in wisdom that says, honor the Lord with all your possessions and the first fruits of your increase. That hasn't stopped since Jesus died on the cross. That's still the same now. So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats overflow with new wine. This, this is God's mechanism for how he works. And the blessing that he blesses us with is not for us to store up our barns for us. It's to store up our barns for others. It's to help other people. It's 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 to it's to pursue justice and mercy. Uh, it, it's to pursue uh, our, our relationship with with helping those who need help, and that's what God wants us to be. He wants us to be conduits of His blessing. He doesn't want us to be barns that are just constantly uh, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. No, you fill a barn, and then when you come into season, everything comes out of the barn and gets used, and then the barn gets filled again. The barn just, you don't just build a bigger barn and never take stuff out of the barn. And if you do have a barn like that, it's time to get something out. Time to start being a blessing. So I'm going to end it there for today and uh, we'll continue in the next video. But uh, I observe so much out of this. Uh, I, I observe that there, there are things that we need to make sure that we never forsake and mercy and truth are there, uh, are so incredibly important you can never forsake truth as soon as you start compromising on truth you are down the path to what is would be the opposite of wisdom and i really don't want to pursue that for my life and i don't want you to pursue it for yours either and uh, and part of that is trusting the lord with everything that we have and it's leaning on our own understanding it's acknowledging him in everything and then making sure that we honor the lord with everything that we have so these are all tied into a life of wisdom and i'm so thankful for them so let me pray uh for you today heavenly father i thank you lord for the the goodness of your word. I thank you for the encouragement that you've given us through the words of Solomon. And uh, I, th I thank you, Lord, that you, you're equipping us with tools to uh, allow wisdom to grow in us and produce incredible fruit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.